Yeah, it was incredibly difficult. I mean, initially I had to really take a break from work. I had to turn down, you know, new opportunities, put other opportunities aside that I had already committed to just cause I needed some space to like process things. I was also just really afraid to like continue to report on police. And, you know, there was even people, people that I really trust and respect that said, you know, maybe I should switch beats or change focus. And to answer your question, I mean, I did really feel like I, at a point that my life was in danger. I just, I remember thinking like, it's, it's possible. Like, you know, they, they kill people that look like me all the time. It could be, you reached for something, you, you know, and my life could be over. It, it felt like a real, real possibility at the time. Hello and welcome to Here in LA, Historic Filipino Town Edition. Today we talk with Lexis Olivier Ray, a journalist, photographer, skateboarder, and gallery owner. Lexis was targeted by the LAPD, given a bum deal by the city attorney, and lived a harrowing eight months not knowing what was going to happen to him his reporting on the LAPD. When it was all over, he said he had PTSD. Personally, I think the LAPD chief Moore and the city attorney, Mike Fuhrer, owe Lexus an apology. But you know, that's the difference between those types of guys and men like Lexus. Lexus is always concerned about doing the right thing, being truly professional, and owning up to his mistakes. We met at his gallery near Chinatown, but his heart is clearly in Filipino town. Let's welcome the esteemed Lexus Olivier Ray. Hey everybody, I am with Lexus Oliver Ray. Oh, one thing I should say, it's Lexus Olivier Ray. <laughs> hey everybody, I'm here with Lexus Olivier Ray. What's up? And today we're representing historic Filipino town, where you've lived for how long? I've been there for about five years now, four or five years. Nice. Okay. Everybody with a hyphen, I ask about the hyphen. <laughs> you're, you're a black man, right? I am. Are, do you have a Latino in your blood? Well, both my grandparents on my mom's side, they're Haitian. Oh. Um, so there's a little bit of French and Spanish influence over there, as well as African, of course. And um, my mom, she gave all of us hyphenated first names, all my siblings, um, and they all have kind of a, a French spin to them. So, oh, but this is a last name, Olivier Ray. No, it's actually uh, my first full name is Lexis Olivier, and my last name is Ray. So should the hyphen, the hyphen should be in between Lexis and Olivier? Correct, yeah. Oh, yeah, like some it. some people, yeah, some people confuse it and hyphenate the Olivier and Ray. And it's funny because when I actually say my name, I say it Lexus Olivier Ray as opposed to Lexus Olivier Ray. It's it's and, confusing. And maybe that's where I got it wrong. Uh, what, do, what was your mom's thinking about the hyphens for all the kids? Uh, I'm not sure exactly. Good question. I, I feel like she just kind of wanted to give us interesting, sort of sophisticated, unique names. And I, I would say she succeeded. I've never met another Alexis Olivier Ray. <laughs> I would say she succeeded too. So have you been back to uh, Haiti? No, I have not. I've never had the chance to go to Haiti, unfortunately. Have you been to any of the islands over there? 
Uh, I've been to Puerto Rico a few times. Oh. Do you habla espanol? No, I don't. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I wish. It's 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 on my list of things to do because I feel like if you're a reporter or really just anyone in Los Angeles, you should speak some Spanish. I agree. And I am ashamed that uh, foreign languages are just not my thing. I am ashamed with you. <laughs> <laughs> and on the other hand, I just love it when people are multilingual or even bilingual. I think it's amazing. And for a reporter, it would be great. Speaking of reporters, you work for LA Taco. Correct. What's your role there? I'm a staff investigative reporter. Yeah. Yeah. What was the last, uh, you, by the way, we're talking to you because I really admire you as a reporter, as a writer. Um, you are cool under pressure, which a lot of people aren't. I am not. And, um, and I love LA Taco. LA Taco has been around for a really long time and it's only getting more and more popular, I think because of people like you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what was the last thing that you investigated that did pretty good on LA Taco? The last thing, last week I wrote a story about how um, roughly half of the city's American Rescue Act uh, funds from the federal government went to the LAPD. Right. I thought the number was like 40%. It's a little bit less than 50. And that's 50% that's of the money that has been sent, not the total allotment, but so far we've received just over 600 million and a little bit over 300 million went to LAPD. Straight to the cops. For uh, expenditures, yes. Who don't need the money. Uh, according to the city, they did need the money. I have, to, I do have to say that. Um, you know. Lexus is you. You are a true journalist. I'm trying to get some opinion in there. You're like ain't falling for it. <laughs> okay, then I'll say it. They don't need that damn money. And and for well, I'll put it this way: in the city, there's a lot of people who could use it more. Who, right. Who don't already have a three billion dollar budget to start with. Right. A lot of people felt that that money could have go to other places such as, you know, the homeless crisis or people that are suffering, businesses that are suffering, people that are suffering from the COVID-19 pandemic and such. So, yeah. yes. One of the things that you wrote earlier in the pandemic, I think it was you, was the hand washing stations, yes. right? Yeah, I did a big, big investigation into those. And, and what was your uh, conclusion or what did, what did you bring out from that investigation? Uh, generally, I found that they were not uh, maintained very well, weren't serviced regularly by vendors. They weren't assessed by the city as the mayor promised. Um, a lot of unhoused people either didn't know where they were, uh, didn't trust them or found that they weren't working. Um, vendors were getting paid for work that they essentially weren't doing. Oh, I mean, it's just it's just water and soap, man. Like, how hard could it be, right? You would think, right? And when they rolled out these hygiene stations, you know, there was a lot of, you know, enthusiasm behind them because after years, the city was finally, you know, delivering much needed services to these unhoused folks. Speaking of unhoused folks, um, last week, a friend of yours passed away who was unhoused. Did he live around here? In Filipino town, yes. Well, he lived in Filipino town. Right now we're talking from uh, Lexus's uh, cool studio in Chinatown, right? It's on the border of Chinatown, Lincoln Heights, kind of a gray area. Right next to the park. Yeah, yeah, exactly. LA Historic. LA Historic Park. Um, your friend, from what I understand, um, was supposed to be participating in uh, Project Room Key. Is, is, do I have that right? 
Yeah. Um, so back even before the pandemic really hit in LA, I witnessed uh, my friend Lionel Morales um, get run over by a car. Um, I happened to be there. I was a witness to what turned out to be a, a hit and run. And um, after that, I, I didn't see Lionel for a few weeks. Eventually, I caught up with him and um, my reporting eventually led to um, him getting into Project Roomkey. Oh, good. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I thought at first. Um, the story that I wrote about him, everything he went through, got a lot of attention. Um, and some council members basically, um, you know, scrambled to get him to him into Project Roomkey. But unfortunately, that situation didn't work out for him. He was um, placed in a location that was like really far away from Filipino town, which is the community that he was most comfortable in and familiar with. So within weeks of that placement, he was back out on the streets. Hmm. And recently you discovered that he was dead. Correct. Yeah, I found out that he uh, he died last month, actually, in February. Oh, wow. Yeah. So how did you learn this news? Well, the last time I saw Lionel, he uh, he was optimistic in, in some ways because he had just he had actually got into housing or, or shelter, I should say. He found a room somewhere, he told me, but he was in really bad condition. I mean, he couldn't walk across the street. I had to help him. He had no money, no cell phone, no way to get around. Uh, he was struggling actually to get back to that room that night. Mm. Um, so I, I didn't see him for many weeks after that. And I just kind of assumed that he was, you know, he had obtained some shelter and he wasn't out on the streets. But after not seeing him for a while, I, I grew to be quite nervous. Um, so for some reason, I thought of looking on the coroner's website, which lists um, sudden deaths um, in their database. and. I typed in Morales, which was his last name, and scrolled down a few names and was shocked, like absolutely floored to see his name in that database. That is heartbreaking. I mean, I guess props to the coroner's department for being professional and having all that information out there, but how sad, because when I had first heard of Project Broomkeep, it sounded great. Here's this pandemic, nobody's in the hotels, you have all these homeless people, put him in the hotels and the mayor has this power where he could if he wanted to could take over hotels and force this to happen which I don't think he ever really did um, and a lot of the news that I heard about Project Room Key was there were still lots of available beds and yet here's all these um, houseless people on the streets is that how you looked at it too yeah I mean and I think that's how Lionel looked at it as well. He was, you know, really excited to get into shelter and, um, you know, worked really hard to, to get there. And, um, you know, as I mentioned, it was a really a big problem for him that he was so far away from his community, um, which is, you know, an issue I think that you hear from other un unhoused residents. And, um, you know, it's a shame because if he was closer, closer, maybe he would have stayed in longer. Or if he even had another chance to go in, because after that, um, you know, he's back on the streets and he was, you know, desperately trying to find housing still. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about LA Taco. Um, this organization makes me so happy because 
on one hand, it's got punk rock roots. It's got skateboard roots, uh, street art, uh, major Latino roots, which is crazy that in LA, which is half Latino, there aren't a lot more LA tacos out there. And I'm also excited because this started during the blogosphere and has continued and is bigger than ever. How is it bigger than ever? Good question. I mean, I think we were all really, really nervous when the pandemic hit. You know, uh, one of our biggest revenue streams is live events. We throw um, an event called Taco Madness, which we've been throwing for more than a decade now. So, of course, when the pandemic hit, you know, we lost all that revenue. Um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, we managed to survive, obviously, and in some ways I would say thrive. Um, you know, before we start recording, you mentioned, you know, it's, it's incredible to see when so many other publications have, you know, died out. But I, I think really through our reporting specifically of the pandemic and, and also in particular the protests, um, we actually gained a lot of uh, membership and following during these tough years. That's awesome. And, and, and what's unique about LA Taco is super serious things from you, very funny things. Uh, there's also a lot of food. Now there's this podcast with this woman who I, I, I think I need to talk with because she's, she's a, a star on her own. Oh, Mariah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, can, I can link you up with her. Who's running the show at LA Taco? So editor-in-chief is Javier Cabral, and um, he's been editor-in-chief for a number of years uh, since even before the pandemic. So he's the one really steering the ship as far as our... Um, you know, our content goes. Um, and then we've actually expanded now, hiring a few people full-time, myself being the first reporter for LA Taco, first full-time reporter ever. Um, and then we also have um, a director of marketing at this point and um, a couple other staff writers now. So starting to grow a little bit. You also, have, you're wearing a red LA Taco hat, which looks fantastic. It's an amazing logo. Um, I've seen stickers. I mean, the merch is on point. Thank you. Thank you. Remind me to give you a couple of those stickers before you leave. I, have I will gladly take a sticker. Thank you. Um, I also noticed that LA Taco does kind of a membership thing where if you like what's going on, you can just give. Um, it's kind of like a, a subscription, but it's like. Um, um, free tacos. You get free tacos out of the Yeah, game? yeah. I yes. didn't know that. Yeah. So if you, if you give what? Five bucks a month, you get. Uh, I think it starts at 10, 10 bucks a month. Ten bucks there's a like month. two tiers, and then there's like like a top tier, premier tier, or something like that. <laughs> and yeah, you get free tacos. You get invites to our uh, our tastings, which oftentimes involve tacos. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's kind of uh, you know that's kind of our thing. Support the journalism, and then also get some free tacos on top of that. Speaking of tacos, you and I kind of look a little light-skinned. We are light-skinned. And uh, I've got some stubble in your honor. Uh, I, I can't grow the beard the way that you've got going. I and mean, you've got a strong beard going and a strong afro peeking out under that uh, hat. <laughs> um, do people approach you and start speaking Spanish thinking that you know Spanish? They actually don't, not Spanish, no. What do they, what do they come to you with? 
Well, sometimes people think because of my name, I speak French. And that's one thing I regret. I don't like my mom, my grandparents, they speak fluent French. My, my uncle, he speaks fluent French, but I don't, I, I don't speak French. Did your family come to LA or did you do this by yourself? I did this by myself. Well, actually it's interesting. I grew up in an interesting family dynamic. I had a lot of siblings, uh, a couple of my siblings, they grew up uh, primarily out here on the West Coast. I grew up on the East Coast in Connecticut. Um, we'd spend sp summers together, um, a shared custody sort of situation, but yeah. we, were, we were close, like, you know, like, you know, real brothers, as, as people say, yeah. real sisters. Um, so eventually I came out here, but I had family already. So um, yeah, kind of an interesting dynamic. Did you come around college time? After college, no. I came in, uh, I moved here in 2016, but uh, that was after like a number of years of kind of being bi-coastal between here and New York City. Oh, you lived in New York for a little while. Yes, I lived in New York for about eight years. That's where I went to, uh, to college and lived in my 20s, yeah. What, what college? I went to the School of Visual Arts in Manhattan. Ooh. Tiny little art school. Uh, I went for film, but they have like, a, they're kind of known for their um, cartoon and illustration program, I guess. So again, we're in your studio in, in Chinatown and I see a lot of, did you do this too? <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> there, there's a painting over here that's really cool. Yeah, but but that all the photography is yours, right? All the photography on the walls is mine, yes. I, okay, so on Twitter, your handle is shot on 35. Yep. 35 millimeter? 35 millimeter, right. 35 mm. And what is that a reference to? That's a reference to film. Film photography. I've Actual shooting, film. Yeah, yeah, 35 millimeter film. Which is kind of the standard for, I want to say traditional movies. Sure, right? yep. As opposed to digital. And uh, the, 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 the true G's like uh, um, Tarantino and um, who's the Batman guy? Christopher, um, uh, all right. Oh yeah, I know you're talking about. <laughs> Christopher of, Nolan, right? Christopher Nolan, thank you. <laughs> I should never, I should never start a sentence if I don't know how I'm going to end it. But the real, the real, uh, true, uh, cinema people love 35 millimeter. Did you get a, a love for 35 at this school in New York? No, my love for 35 millimeter dates back way, way before college in New York. Um, my mom, she's actually a photographer. My dad was as well. Um, but my, my parents got me into film at a very young age. Do you remember a, a movie that really struck you that made you want to go into this world? Um, I used to watch like a lot of old black and white movies with my, my grandparents. Um, but at that age, I wasn't really uh, aware of what I was watching or like the names of films. So, um, but yeah, I have lots of memories of like watching old films with my grandma. So these, these pictures that are here on the wall. They were all shot with a film uh, camera. Yep, these are all shot on 35 millimeter. Um, five of these are from a, a group show that I was in, uh, I guess, last year. And then the print of the cop car on fire, that's from a different body of work. The, uh, the cop car was during the, um, one of the George Floyd protests. Correct. One of the, I would say, the first like, major George Floyd protest here in, in L.A. And do you call that the dead to me photo? I do. I call that okay, the good. dead to me photo. Because I do too. 
so we, we call it that because there's a billboard in the back for, was that a TV show, Dead to Me? It was a TV show, and actually the producer of the show reached out to me afterwards and uh, supported my work. All right on. Yeah. And so this is the corner of Fairfax and Beverly of uh, black and white LAPD cop car on fire next to uh, a shell station that's a really nice shell station. And I remember that a block or two away from there is where one of the cops was just hauling out on people. Um, I think it was third yep. in Fairfax. Yeah. So this was just a little, this was before that happened. Um, yeah, this was, yeah, this was just a crazy day. So were you just walking past and you saw this or? No, no, I was out covering um, this protest for, for LA Taco and it started in Pan Pacific Park, a little bit east of here. And um, they basically made like a big loop all the way around like to La Cienega and then back towards Pan Pacific Park. And then we're met with like a very strong police presence that just, you know, caused things to escalate and escalate further. It was crazy because it was on TV. I'm an old man now, so I will allow you to be in this crazy <laughs> nonsense that's going on out there. Very violent, very dangerous situation. I mean, in the parking lot of Mendocino Farms, the LAPD are chasing protesters, unarmed protesters, into the parking lot to, to hit them with their billy clubs. And you were right there. Yeah, and I mean, not even just protesters. There's people that were like shopping and just out that were caught in the mix of this. Um, but yeah, I was out there and it was, it felt incredibly dangerous. I mean, I wrote a personal essay about this and in the essay I say, I was shocked that I didn't get hit with like a rubber bullet or something. It just felt like people were being shot at indiscriminately, you know? Uh, and so this is about a block north of uh, Mendocino Farms. Um, you made your loop. And, and this wasn't the only cop car that had been destroyed that day. Um, the, the crowd yeah. definitely turned on the police, right? Yeah, there was, I think, yeah, over a dozen police cars. Oh, that many? I, I, I mean, yeah, I think so. There was, yeah, there was a bunch. There's a whole line of burnt out police cars. A dozen, but who's counting? <laughs> well, actually, it's funny. I did a story because the police made kind of a big deal about all these uh, police cars that were damaged. Did a story on it where I got the data that actually showed how many uh, of these cars were damaged and found that it was actually rather insignificant compared to, um, you know, how many protests there were. Um, and most of the damage was pretty insignificant. There was only a few cars that were fully totaled. So what's, what's, what's interesting about this particular photo is a lot of the protesters have, have, aren't in this shot. This is kind of a lone car blazing on fire what why did the cops um did, did the protesters not care about this car anymore had they moved on it was just really like in a photographic sense a magical moment that i happened to catch like that's how i would describe it because just before this it was complete chaos you know people you know taking pictures and selfies in front of this um you know flaming police car just you know a few feet away from a, a gas station people screaming telling people to get away you know to clear out of the area and then i guess all the shouting and getting people to clear out it actually worked and there was this very very small window where i was able to capture um this shot and it's interesting because the way i shoot film it's like there's really only one shot for me i don't take a bunch of snapshots 
Um, but it, the, the exception to that is if I know that I kind of messed up that one shot. So I took two of these, two frames for this one. And the first one, someone runs through the frame. That's why I took the second one. And this, this is the second one, so. And you're conservative when you use film because you only have so many rolls on, on you, right? Yeah, the cost, um, for sure. Um, but also, it's if you take a lot of um, like snapshots with film, it can be really difficult to decide what shot you want to use. Um, so I've just taught myself to, to really like take one shot and like I, I would move around and stuff, you know, like take yeah. a from a different angle or something, but not just like take portrait, take horizontal, like closer a little bit. Like you can't really take a bunch of snapshots like that. <laughs> once, once you've got this film, um, where do you have it developed? Do you develop it yourself? I don't. I never really got that deep into developing film. I go to a place called D&J Photo. It's across from LACC on Vermont Ave. I've been going huh. there for years. Uh, they're basically like the cheapest in the city, but they do a, a fantastic job. And they actually turn my stuff around sometimes in like an hour or two, wow. which is unheard of now. <laughs> That's photomat uh, time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so once they developed it and you see that it's this good, was this what you were hoping was this better than you thought it was going to be um i knew it was a good image for sure yeah um but i felt um i didn't know how to feel about it at first like i i didn't know if it was something i necessarily wanted to put out there um so i sat on it for a while i would say and, and thought about it mm -hmm. um but when I thought about it more and when I kind of analyzed the photo a little bit more, I felt really strongly about it and it just took off. And this is the thing I love about you. You are a very sensitive person. What astrological sign are you? I am an Aquarius. Oh, interesting. <laughs> um, what are you? I'm a Libra. That's why we get along. Oh, cool. <laughs> you sat on this because you were fearful that this would seem anti-cop? Um, I just thought that it might be glorifying things a bit like the protest because, you know, that was a very traumatic day for people. Uh, people were seriously injured. Um, it's very dangerous. So I didn't want to like glorify violence or, um, capitalize off of something like that necessarily, you know, mm -hmm. so thought about it deeply. Yeah. Uh, what was the response once you let this out? It blew up. I mean, yeah, <laughs> people have really taken to this image in a way that, I mean, I've been shooting film for, you know, over 15 years now. And like, this is the first image that has really blown up like this for me. When you say blow up, um, how, how do you uh, determine that? Um, I mean, just the response I've gotten, but I've also sold, you know, hundreds of prints, oh, really? hundreds of copies of this photo at this point. When you um, put this on Twitter, did it kind of go viral a little bit? Yeah, I would say so. Who was the, the biggest account that retweeted this or had something to say? Um, I don't recall the biggest, but I mean, it was cool that the producer of Dead to Me reached out to me and, and I mean, <laughs> she, she bought a bunch of copies of it and supports my work and still keep in contact. So that was cool. Where can people get your photos if they want to also have a print? I have a website that I'm actually kind of redeveloping right now, but LexisOlivierRay.com. Um, I don't make it available all the time. I, every few months or so, I've done these print sales and people always, um, you know, support this, this print and, and other prints as well. So you also do a free thing you, you put together, well, at least you used to, 
Um, you put together pictures of your neighborhood and just put it in a free bin at a liquor store. Yep. Are you still doing that? Um, I do still have a bunch of copies and um, I, it's been a while since I dropped some off at the liquor store, but yeah, I mean, I wanted to give you a copy today. Ooh, thank you. Because <laughs> I went to that liquor store many months ago. Oh, really? And, um, and I was looking for it. I just happened to be in the neighborhood, which I fucking love the neighborhood. Um, and I, and I was like, oh, that's, that's the store. That's oh, the shit. famous store. <laughs> and I talked to the guy and the guy was great. Okay. He has nothing but love for you. That must and be Ruble. Shout out to Ruble. Ru Ruble. Ruble. Okay. Yeah. And what's, what's the liquor store's name? Hope's Liquor. Hope's on liquor. Beverly and Alvarado. Right. Yeah. He actually told me about that, but he, I think, didn't recall your name or something. That's and okay. I was wondering. We were probably all wearing masks too. Like, how do you remember anybody during that those those two years? So, anyways, what you do is you put you take pictures, you make these books, which has got to be expensive. It's like what thirty pages, something like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, thirty pages, and you just leave it there next to the auto trader or something that's free, just to share the love. Well, I don't always do that. That was a particular project uh, about historic Filipino town. And um, it's actually tied to the um, these prints that are on the wall, you know, minus the dead to me print. Um, all, all these other photos were shot in historic Filipino town. Um, and it was part of a group show, as I mentioned, a show called Demo at uh, Mac Center for Art and Architecture in West Hollywood. And uh, the, the show centered on, you know, artists, artists um, you know, the way, the way that they respond to um, these changing neighborhoods. So um, I really wanted to get that work uh, for people in the neighborhood to see that work. Um, it, the show was in West Hollywood, not everyone could see it. So um, fortunately we made a bunch of zines for the show as well. And uh, I got the idea to drop them off at my friend's liquor store so people could pick them up. And when you say changing neighborhoods, your photos are showing um, empty lots with um, dump trucks and stuff. The, the, the house has been raised on one of them. Uh, another one is just a pile of dirt with um, fencing around it because something, I guess a building in the back, a four-story building is about to be torn down. And then there's another picture of uh, a vacant building do not enter because they've been evicted, I imagine. Um, and it's, it's, they're sad pictures, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This isn't the changing, like, you know, winter changing into spring. This is something has ended. It is ugly. It's sad. And maybe it was forced. Maybe it was coerced kind of a thing. That's what I see when I look at these. Yeah, there, there is a lot of, I guess, sadness here. Um, I mean, this, this photo over here, um, it's, um, the entrance of an old house in Filipino town and there's some graffiti RIP is written on the side. Um, this photo is about a, a woman that was actually uh, shot and killed that, uh, in this house. It, it was an abandoned house for a number of years. Uh, people moved in and um, this young woman uh, ended up being shot and killed there. Wow. So, so that's what those, there's kind of some sad heart balloons that are half inflated. Yep. Became a memorial for her. And wow. shortly after that, the house was demolished and now it's, you know, like those three story condos or whatever. Yeah. 
Yeah. So you're keeping it real, man. God bless you for that. And so you decided that you wanted to take some of these pictures, make a zine, make a little book, give it away free at your, your buddy's liquor store. Yeah. Yeah. So people in the community could, could see the work. It's amazing. You're, you're kind of a hippie. <laughs> Thank you. You look like Che Guevara a little bit, but you are a hippie at heart. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. I mean, I, I listen to the Grateful Dead. And, Do you really? Uh, yeah. I... <laughs> what, are you, what are you listening to with the, with the dead? Uh, I love, I mean, I love that, that album, American Beauty. Um, I'm not so much like most people are really into their live stuff and I never really got into that so much. I really like their albums, which is like like studio records. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's God bless the kids. How old are you? 32. 32. So when I was in college, I was, the dead had just released uh, the touch of gray album pretty much their last like big hit yeah as far as radio hits go and but also like heavy metal and grunge was bubbling up like there's a lot of things going on uh beastie boys were doing real well but somehow the grateful dead rose to the top with this single and this album and they started touring and my friends were like do you want to go and i was like of course not <laughs> let's go see Aerosmith. They've got a number one record out too. With Skid Row opening. And they're like, well, let's do both. And that's what I loved about my friends up in Santa Barbara was let's let's do it all. But I gotta say, if it wasn't for them, I would never have gotten into the Grateful Dead. How did you get into them? I guess in a similar way. Um, I mean, I didn't grow up listening to I guess what they call like classic rock. Uh-huh. So I discovered uh, the dead and all that when I was like a teenager in, in high school, which is kind of weird. Cause all my friends, like, you know, they were really into that stuff. I was more into like R and B and like rap and then underground rap and stuff like that. So when I finally got to like, like heard my first like Beatles song and like Rolling Stones, I really loved it. And like, just fell like completely into that stuff. Um, and then also I got super into vinyl. Mm. Um, so I really enjoy like collecting, uh, collecting like classic rock vinyl and stuff like that. Nice. Okay. Let's go to, um, the thing that I was trying to blow up on was the Dodgers won the World Series. You go out into the streets like a good reporter should, a good young reporter. I ain't going out to those streets. Thank you. To capture the celebration. When people, when, when people in L.A., when, when the teams win, the fans go out in the streets. In a pretty predictable, like three different neighborhoods, they go out there. Yeah. One of them is downtown where you happen to be that night. I actually started off in Echo Park, though, because that was kind of where things, you know, first kind of, um, you know, blew up. Oh, the, the, really? The, the, the celebrations happened? I mean, first... I think it was it happened at the same time, you know. Right. I'm sure, you know, people in East L.A. as well um, were partying. But, you yeah. know, because of the proximity to Dodger Stadium, oh, okay. of that course, makes sense. you know, a lot of people, I think, uh, initially congregated in like the Echo Park area. So I was actually there first, and that was pretty crazy and chaotic as well was it 
Yeah, for sure. Um, but it, it died down very quickly. Like it, there wasn't as much resistance to keep it going. Like people just did their thing and like scattered. And then that's when I, I went downtown to meet up with people. Cause when I was in Echo Park, I was actually by myself, which, you know, is not ideal if you're covering, um, crowd versus police situation. So I, I went downtown to meet up with my buddies and, and, uh, cover things down there with them. And at some point you end up, um, I feel like you're in the middle of the street and a rush of police come at you. What, what intersection was that? Or what streets was that approximately? Oof. Uh, I want to say it was flower and I forget the, was, I it, mean, was it near LA live? Cause that's a lot of times where the Lakers celebrations yeah, are. They, it, at first it started over there. It was just a little bit, I guess, um, east, east of, of LA live area. Mm -hmm. Um, but then eventually the police started to disperse people and, um, they pushed a bunch of people, including myself and a bunch of journalists down one street. I forget exactly what it was. I think you it was weren't flowered. the only journalist out there. No, no. I mean, um, ah. you know, you've seen the video, I'm sure, but behind me are a bunch of other reporters, journalists, uh, live streamers, and just, you know, people out, out and about. Right. Um, and from what I remember, because you're right, I do remember that video because that video also went viral, Mr. Oliver Ray, uh, Olivier Ray, um, which was good and bad. It was good because you're a reporter and you're supposed to show the people what the hell's going on outside. Um, it's bad because I feel like the cops got their feelings hurt about this. And the video in question is you're on the streets, the cops with riot gear, um, push you over, you are pleading with them, I'm a reporter, I'm a reporter, or I'm a journalist, something like that. And I think I heard someone say, well, then you know what to do. Did I hear that? I don't recall that. It might have been a different situation then. Maybe, yeah. Did they say anything to you while you were down? I don't recall them saying anything. I just remember, at, like, yeah, I said, I'm press, I'm press, and eventually they backed off and just left me alone and basically stepped over me. Okay, good. But wasn't some of your equipment hurt? Yeah, I was hurt. I got, you know, scratched up, bruised. Um, microphone to my video camera was broken. The lens was damaged. Yeah, I was pretty banged up. What what equipment were you using? I, I, please tell me it's this Magnavox uh, VHS. <laughs> the, uh... the VHS camera? I actually don't have the camera here that I was using. Um, well, actually, I do. I have one of them. I believe I had this. Uh, DSLR. This is one of my favorite 35 millimeter cameras that I carry around a lot. And then I also had um, a video camera, like a, a digital camera that I was carrying around at the time. That's about this size. This, this looks, for, for those of you at home, this looks like a regular professional camera. Um, I mean, the DSLR, I guess is what you call it. But yep. to me, it's, I call it a good camera. <laughs> it's a real camera with a detachable lens. And so on, was that also a Nikon? Are you a Nikon person? No, it's funny. Um, the 35 millimeter is a Nikon, but the video camera is a Canon, so. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> so you need like twice as many lenses then? Um, I don't use that camera as much anymore, but <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta have a lens for each, right? Right. Uh, okay, so they broke your cannon. Bummer. They hurt you. Do you go home or do you continue uh, reporting? No, I just got up, like 
brushed myself off a little bit and just kept reporting. Uh, Good. Yeah. Where did you learn this kind of, fuck you, I'm going to do what I want to do? <laughs> That's an interesting way of putting it. <laughs> well, I mean, I should point out that I wasn't arrested or cited or anything. I was let go and I was there to do my job. I certainly wasn't going to go up to the cops that just roughed me up and, you know, try and push things further with them. I, you know, I think I went up to a supervisor after that. I, I did try and, you know, maybe get some people's information, but there wasn't much I could do. So just back to work. But this courage you didn't learn in art school is what I'm trying to say. No. Is this a New York thing? Because that's the, this is the thing about you. You are a sensitive person, which is good. You do care about people, um, but you're also tough and courageous. Is this an East Coast spine that you've got? Is this black power inside of you that's trying to get out of this shy, sensitive, tall man? I think it's just determination. You know, I take my job really seriously and I know how important it was to be out there. Those were historic moments, you know, a couple of weeks later, it was the, uh, uh, before that it was the Lakers. You know, the whole thing with the protests going on, elections just around the corner. It was such a historic moment. Like, I knew the importance of being out there and, and documenting things. And and I also think that the L.A. Taco take is going to be different than Channel 5's take. And I think that's why it's so valuable that you are out there. Because, and no disrespect to the TV crews, but... A lot of times they only have a few minutes in the newscast to do it. They're probably gonna use some of the footage from the helicopter. And I hate to say it, but they're also gonna have kind of a corporate spin of judging the people on the streets. Whereas you might be more, um, I, I don't wanna say friendly to the people on the street, but I think you can appreciate the joy that's going on and you're not gonna judge them, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting. Like I remember, um you know, the most recent celebrations, uh, the Rams, of course, you know, it's like people were kind of surprised that people are, are celebrating and happy and um, how things escalate when, when uh, you know, t uh, L.A. teams win. It shouldn't really come as a surprise, you know, like, right. come on. <laughs> Every team that wins, there's a parade and there's people going yeah. crazy. And it, like to me, it's like it's like going to a, a punk show and standing by the mosh pit and, and writing and being like, people are walking around in circles, hitting the people. Like, right. what's like, of course, it's a punk show. Like, that's what happens. And like, I'm not condoning violence or anything like that. But, you know, it's certainly not surprising. Right. So I'm wearing a, a World Series Cubs hat from 2016 where I was there in Chicago when 5 million people uh, celebrated the Cubs victory. Uh, it was one of the largest gatherings ever. And the, what the cops did, and I'm, I'm saying this not to brag, but to get your opinion, is they, they didn't really line the sidewalks, but they sure as hell didn't go into the street. They basically put their backs up against the property that they were protecting and allowed the people to party in the streets. In L.A., they come into the streets and close down. They try to stop. And, and then they get upset when people throw a brick in a window. It's like, well, if your ass had been in front of the window, they wouldn't have thrown a brick at you. Also, let these people get their yayas. I mean, they're excited, right? Um, 
Do you think? Well, I'm not even gonna. <laughs> Week once, if you think the cops want this kind of uh, problems happening every celebration, do I do I think that they want this yeah. problems to happen? <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm not going to speculate about that, but I, I mean, I do think at this point, it's like maybe there should be more of like a protocol for these things. Right. Like, you know, maybe the city council or somebody could look into like what happens if uh, an L.A. team wins? Like, what is the protocol for that? Like, And stop acting surprised. You also know the pocket. So Echo Park is a pocket. L.A. Live is a pocket. And East L.A. is one. So have your people there ready to go and maybe let them party a little bit. I'm a crazy person. Open up the Coliseum and have burned out cop cars. And you charge a guy five bucks for five minutes to have fun with it. <laughs> right? With the sledgehammer. You know, like let, let there be bouncy houses for adults. Like let there be a way that you can get your energy out. Because I got to tell you, as a sports fan, there's very little like having your team win. And it's a beautiful thing. Even if it's 2020 and you only played an abbreviated season, you know, it's it's a big deal. Yeah, especially, I mean, for L.A., um, you know, that year with everything that was going on. I mean, this was yeah. like really in the middle, like the, the peak of the pandemic at that time, you know, yeah. and people had been through through so much and lost so much. So to win, it was like. You know, it was even more exciting. So the bad news about this video going viral is again, to my theory, it seems like the cops got their feelings hurt and they they do look bad in this video of, of that you shot of them hammering away at unarmed people in the streets. It goes viral and somehow a police officer off the clock after the fact writes your ass up and only your ass up for failure to disperse. Do I have that correct? Correct. Out, out of hundreds of people that were out that night, I was the only person um, that faced charges for uh, allegedly failing to disperse. Right. And so this is where I got a little ugly. I went on Mike, Mike Fuhrer's his, 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 uh, Twitter account for mayor I hit him up on his official city attorney thing, and I asked questions like, why is it that the only person that you press charges on was black and a journalist? Meanwhile, out in Iowa, the, uh, a reporter there, very similar situation. I, I, it wasn't a celebration. I think it was uh, also like a, a protest. This was a, pro a George Floyd protest, I believe. In Iowa. Correct. And the the government tried to press charges against her for failure to disperse and and the jury said are you crazy it's the first amendment the, the police or the the press have a, a right to be out there whatever so so i i kept linking to that article saying city attorney how is lexus's case any different than this case because he's a fucking coward he didn't say a word in fact he blocked me from his campaign page but he didn't he didn't explain has he ever explained to you why a journalist should be charged for failure to disperse? He never explained that to me. Um, a number of other reporters have asked him similar questions in public and at meetings and such, and um, he never gives them a straight answer about that. 
I remember once he said he doesn't even remember that case. Right. Yeah. Somebody He's... approached him at uh, Cha Cha Chicken or something crazy like that. <laughs> and he pretended like he didn't know. Yeah. And I was like, fool, I was on your Twitter every day. Every tweet he had for a couple months, I was on his ass. Which I don't like to do. I have shit to do. I don't want to spread evil in the world. And But the evil was in me, and it had to come out. Well, I have to thank everybody that supported me um, throughout that time, yourself included. I, I think it raised a lot of awareness, and uh, I, I find it hard to believe that that Mike is not aware of, of this case. Okay, so you wrote an article about this whole experience, and you said for seven months it was horrible for you. You were afraid for your life. How were you afraid for your life during this period? Yeah, it was incredibly difficult. I mean, initially I had to really take a break from work. I had to turn down, you know, new opportunities, put other opportunities aside that I had already committed to just because I needed some space to like process things. I was also just really afraid to like continue to report on police. And, you know, there's even people, people that I really trust and respect that said, you know, maybe I should switch beats or change focus. Huh. And to answer your question, I mean, I did really feel like at, at a point that my life was in danger. I just, I remember thinking like, it's it's possible. Like, you know, they, they kill people that look like me all the time. It could be, you reached for something, you you know, and my life could be over. It, it felt like a real, real possibility at the time. So in this article that you wrote, you said that you had a, a meeting with the city attorney and he basically said, keep your nose clean and um, uh, the statute of limitations is for seven months. If everything goes well, you, everything's fine. Is that kind of how it went? <laughs> kind of. So it wasn't, it wasn't with um, the city attorney, uh, Mike Fuhrer directly. It was with a hearing officer. Oh um over the phone but nonetheless it, it was a hearing that i had to uh report to just several days after getting this notice and during that meeting they told me that the statute of limitations would remain open uh for a year um you know from the 27th the date that it occurred and if there were any repeat offenses they could file the old case and then any new cases so essentially it, it felt to me like the the charges were hanging over my head Right. And if I went out and covered any other protests or police first crowd situations where they had dispersal orders called, I could, you know, be arrested and prosecuted. Yeah. Did you have a, a lawyer with you for this phone call? I didn't. I consulted with a number of lawyers before and uh, they essentially all told me just not to really say anything. And um, yeah, they felt that it was OK for me to, to go in there alone as, as long as I didn't say much. I was, I was, I wanted this to go to trial because I wanted the city attorney to say, yeah, the first amendment's cool, but we have the right to revoke the rights from the press when we want to. But Mike never takes any challenge like that. He only fights easy fights that he knows he can win. And this one, 
he probably knew he could he could not win, right? And so I think I think a, a crazier person, maybe a younger Lexus, would have said, bitch, I'm going out there tonight. I'm gonna stand in the middle of the street all night. I dare you to arrest me. Is that is that devil on your shoulder at all? Did you wanna push the the the, the situation at all? I wish I could say I did in some ways, but no, that was not my reaction at all. I was definitely uh, concerned and worried about going out there and covering protests. And, you know, this happened essentially a year ago now when I got the notice. So a couple of weeks after that was the Echo Park Lake protests. That's right. And that was the first time I had really gone, uh, the time I had gone out to cover something like that after this whole ordeal with the city attorney. The Echo Park Lake was, there was a lot of homeless people camping out on the lake. Uh, the city had decided we're going to quote unquote clean up the lake, which means remove everybody and put a huge fence around it. And um, it was it was highly publicized. So there was the all-star team of journalists out there, including you. And, and they, uh, the police basically said, you guys can cover it blocks away <laughs> and some some press went for it and said fine we'll see you over at the bright spot and a few of you said forget that we're gonna be where we want to be yeah and i would even say a lot of us didn't even hear the orders they, they weren't very clear i mean oh. people were shouting over you know each other and um a lot of times those the microphones they use they're not very loud uh they don't always use those like the big trucks um, so a lot of people just weren't aware of where they should go. But yeah, I mean, aside from that, it was completely, uh, you know, it's around the corner, completely out of view from what was going on. So you were nervous. God, if I get arrested here, I made a deal with this guy that I was going to be cool. Well, I didn't make a deal, but I was, uh, I guess, warned that, you know, hypothetically, I could face more more charges for being at events like this. You didn't sign any paperwork that said I promise not to? No, absolutely not. Good no. for you. Yeah. Um, but anyways, you're worried. Oh, my God. I'm, I'm kind of on this weird probation, this bizarre probation that shouldn't exist. You shouldn't be able to tell somebody, yeah, you broke the law, but we're we're going to use it against you without due process, right? Like it's, it's fucked up. Oh yeah, it's definitely fucked up, yeah. Okay, so you're there, you see uh, Kate Kegel uh, get arrested while the, the, is that how you say her name? Kate Kegel, I believe. Kate Kegel uh, from Spectrum News, shout out. Yeah. She's fantastic. Great reporter. You see her get arrested while her camera crew is filming her, which would have freaked me out because that's a white girl. If they're, if they're detaining white people, <laughs> They're not playing. Yeah, and actually, I I believe I saw uh, Kate <clears throat> get arrested, but I was a little bit uh, like further away. But I was very close when James Qualey from the LA Times was arrested, and I actually documented him being arrested and alerted the Times about that. But yeah, when I saw James get arrested, I was very concerned. Because, because, when uh, Josie Huang got um, uh, arrested two years ago in, um, I want to say Long Beach, um, by the sheriff department, even though she had her press pass badge on her, they, and, and she was yelling KPCC, 
some of the people are like, what's that? You can't say that with James with the LA Times. Plus, he covers the cops. Right. Yeah, exactly. So you would imagine the sergeant or the captain, if there was, I imagine there were some captains out there, would have known, well, you, you really are poking the bear now with this guy. Yeah, I mean, he has credentials, like LASD credentials, I think maybe LAPD credentials, and he's a freaking crime reporter for the LA Times, you know? <laughs> so when I saw that, I was, I was, you know, very concerned that I was going to be the next person handcuffed. So you shot, you shot the video of him being, is that arrested or is that just detained, technically? He was arrested and handcuffed, I would say. Wow. I mean, I was detained for two hours. I was never handcuffed. I was never, I mean, it's, it's an arrest, I guess, essentially. Yeah. You, know, you can't leave, <laughs> that's right. for sure. <laughs> if you leave, you're in real trouble. Yeah, so arrest and detainment, I think, are pretty much the same thing. Being handcuffed is something else, but you can I be- I guess I consider arrest when they actually write it down. Okay, yeah. Like when, when you're booked and like- Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, regardless, you were not able to do your job. Neither were these others. Right. Fucked up. Um, meanwhile, how many cops do you think were out there? A couple hundred, right? Hundreds, yeah. Hundreds of cops. Felt like hundreds, yeah. And one by one, they would rush the, the crowd and bring back a person or a journalist or whoever was there. Yeah, take them into custody, handcuff them. Under the terms of, we, well, we told you on the bullhorn, horn, if you don't leave, we're going to get you. Exactly. And um, so they detained you for two hours. You're sweating bullets. Were you on like a, 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 a school bus or something like that? Were you? No, I was still on the street. But um, basically the the cops, they, they surrounded everybody. So there was no way for any anyone to leave at a certain point, even if you're a journalist. And uh, they just start to close in on people. We're giving a lot of conflicting orders. I remember once like a, a cop was telling behind me was telling me to move forward a cop in front of me was telling me to move backwards with like a weapon pointed at me wow. just conflicting information there's nowhere to go you know yeah. um so just completely chaotic and i was in that situation where pretty much confined to like just a small area of the sidewalk with a bunch of other reporters for over two hours you mentioned that james had an lasd a sheriff's department issued press pass do you have one of those? No, I do not. Intentionally? Yes. During the protest of 2020 and 2021, I definitely thought about getting one many times, but ultimately decided that I, I did not want to. And the reason being is I think it's unnecessary. Um, you know, since then I've heard from reporters who've, you know, reported for like 30 years and say they've never had a press pass, never needed one. Um, Unless you're the type of reporter that's going out to like crime scenes, like chasing around cops at night and stuff. Yeah. Okay, I get it. But I, I think in most circumstances, it's it's unnecessary. And I don't agree with a lot of the terms that are, you know, that you have to um, agree to. Well, and one of them is the First Amendment never says cops get to determine who the, who the press are. Because who would they choose? Definitely not you and me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, would they even give me one? I mean, <laughs> but, but it's like, why do you like who even thinks that that's a good idea? And, and isn't it a conflict of interest if the, the press is covering the cops, that the cops get to determine the, the you know, who gets behind the velvet ropes? Like, no. Plus, why would the press allow that? Why would you diminish some of your rights? 
I don't have the answer to these questions. <laughs> but 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 that's what I think about when I when I because I mean, okay. So some people say, well then, shouldn't you just have an LA Taco press pass? I do. I, I do Great. carry. Yeah. I mean that. I, yeah. When I first went out uh, to cover the George Floyd protest for like a few days or maybe weeks, I didn't have one. And then LA Taco issued press passes to people that were out on the field. And I mean, it made a huge difference, like day and night. Oh, did it? Yes. Yeah. Just the LA Taco press pass. Good. Yeah. Saved me from getting arrested multiple times, helped me gain access. Um, <clears throat> but it didn't always work. You know, right. it wasn't like. <laughs> Dude, I've had an LA Times press pass that couldn't get me in, in the door. Yeah, exactly. Either, so. Sometimes it's just, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it helps to have some sort of credentials, right. but I don't think that you should be uh, feel obligated to to get an LAPD or LA Sheriff's Department press pass. That's right. Um, do you have a good alternative? Some people were saying maybe the LA Press Club should be the people that, that come out with the press passes, even though I was a, a member of the board of the LA Press Club for four years, I don't think that's a good idea because shit can happen. And even though that press club right now is great, there could be a whole bunch of bad directors later or in the future who could turn that around. Also, <laughs> the First Amendment. Why am I going to give up any of those rights so that some third party could issue these credentials? It just seems silly. Yeah. Yeah, I think people are just so they're so nervous about like what what ha like we need to regulate it in some way, but it's like I think it helps to have as many people covering s something as possible, and even if it's not, it's someone that you don't necessarily agree with. You know, what I mean, like mm -hmm. I think that like what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> well, also I think about the fact that we are in a modern time now, and I don't want to determine who's a journalist or not, but I have seen people who wouldn't. Con consider themselves journalists, document things of news that end up on the front page or on the top of the 10 o'clock news. So Rodney King was videotaped by yeah. a non-journalist. Uh, when Scully landed that plane in uh, New York, uh, an iPhone picture was on the front page of all the newspapers. Yeah. And if, if, if we've come to the point where anybody with an iPhone is capable of delivering news, then maybe all we all are oppressed. And the only people that seem uptight about that are people trying to hide things. Right. <laughs> Which as an investigative reporter is exactly what you want. Yeah. <laughs> right? You want to uncover the hidden shit. Exactly. So one of the one of the hidden things out there is um the things that uh our friend William uh, William G. Film the Police, L.A. has uncovered and documented on his Twitter feed. Yeah, and you've partnered with him from time to time. I've written a number story, number of stories about him. I am in the process of editing a documentary about him. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. We we shot. Um... You filmed Film the Police. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, I shadowed him for four nights in October of last year. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, spent many hours with him, and now I'm boiling all that down into hopefully like a multi-part little web series for LA Taco. Wow. So when you said you were afraid for your life, I get it, because that's why I don't go out there either. 
he doesn't seem afraid. And that was one of the first questions I asked him on Here in L.A. episode two was, didn't your mom tell you not to do this? Because black people have different rules when it comes to the cops. By the way, did your mom tell you don't mess with the cops? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. And she still gets nervous. I mean, she I made the mistake. But I mean, I, I think kind of think it's a mistake of um, telling my mom my Twitter handle during the George Floyd protest. So, yeah, she you know, she's still very nervous about what I cover. Because because you're right. And this is what I told William. These cops can just take you around the corner and pop you in the head and that's it. They they have the infrastructure that they could they could hide this. I mean, he's lucky that Hollywood there's cameras everywhere and who knows whose ring doorbell might pick it up. But they could do it in the back of a car. They could do it anywhere. And that's probably what was going through your head for those seven exactly. months, right? Precisely. Yeah, yeah. And there's crazy people. There's crazy people who are cops and who are not cops. And so all it takes is one crazy cop and it's over. And so William seems fearless though. Do you, did you pick that up after four days with him? In some ways, yes. But I would say that he's also very smart and calculated. And he also, I think to some people's surprise, treats cops with a lot of respect in many ways and has some boundaries around, I guess, what you could call his, his work, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is definitely a, a fearless side to him. He also told me, and I mean, I hope I can share this, but he told me that he, he doesn't see himself doing this forever. Like he, Good. he sees sort of an end or, you know, he will eventually take some sort of a break. It's not sustainable. So, right. Yeah. I think he's aware of, you know, some of those concerns. Also for his heart, it's not sustainable. Because he told me just like how it would make me feel bad when I'm, you know, hound dogging the city attorney. It, it's emotional. You have to dig up anger and sadness to project it. And so he told me that he doesn't like to go out there. He has problems sleeping at night um, when, he's, when he's doing his work. But it's vital work because for whatever reason, the regular press don't want to do this kind of thing for, for – lord lord knows for years like he's been doing yeah i actually think that like press should do more stuff like that like shadow people like william and and just expose themselves to what policing looks like on a day-to-day -day or a night-by-night -night basis because it really i mean it just opened me up to to so much one of the things that I love about you is you do this camera angle with your iPhone where you're skateboarding through the streets of historic Filipino town and hopefully you pick up a bag of tamales or a burrito or something like that and then you skateboard back and it's just a beautiful scene because we do love our tacos but we also love our tamales yes all year Island. round for me I mean <laughs> Some people it's like just Christmas or like just winter. I'm all year round. Are there tamales to be had in historic Filipino town? There are. 
There are uh, quite a few to be had, actually. Um, oftentimes, I go to this vendor on Coronado and Temple. He's over there quite often and makes some really delicious, just like really rich uh, tamales. He does chicken and then like a cheese and jalapeno one. And then there's also... Well, hold on. Does yeah. he have a truck? No, he just sells like outside of his uh, his like... SUV and in the, the little cooler. Nice. How much for a tamale? Oh man, they're cheap. They're like a dollar or like maybe that's the way less. to go. He usually hooks me up with like one or two. Coronado and what did you say? Coronado and Temple. It's right in between two carnicerias. <laughs> um, and then at the carnicería, you can you can find um, Salvadoran uh, tamales. There's a lot of uh, Central American tamales in Filipino town because. As I'm sure you know, Filipino town is like 60% Latino. Yeah. Yeah. Were you into this kind of food when you were on the East Coast or was it different food over there? No, no. I had Connecticut never... didn't have tamales. <laughs> I mean, they probably do because I, I don't want to say that there's no Latino food in, in <laughs> Connecticut. Um, but I certainly was not exposed to anything like that growing up in Connecticut or even in New York. It really wasn't until I started coming out here to L.A. and my girlfriend in particular, Doi, she introduced me to a lot of uh, like Latino food. Mexican. Is she from here? Yeah, born and raised. Because, I mean, she does not look Latino to me. No, she's not Latino. She's like a California blonde <laughs> beach girl. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's not Latino. She's white. <laughs> but because she's native, she knows. Yeah, she grew up in Mid-City and Hollywood and, and really all over L.A. So, yeah, she's the one that exposed me to a lot of uh, a lot of the food that I love and eat on a daily basis now. Uh, talk to me real quick. Let's finish with this. The I don't want to call you an activist because I don't think you are. No, I, I I think you are an aggressive. I think you are an investigative reporter. I think you are um, punk rock. And you are trying to get to the stories that may make mainstream media uncomfortable. And that's why some people might consider you an activist, but you're not. Because your stories don't advocate one side or the other. But I think it's, it's, it's hard, I'll put it this way. If you were a weatherman and it's raining every day, you're not a rain activist if you say it's fucking raining every day. <laughs> I love that. I'm but if you're covering that. the cops and they're constantly fucking up, or you're covering the city and the hand-washing stations just don't fucking work, and the homeless are being treated like shit, you're not an activist for saying it's fucking raining on the streets. It's fucking raining. But you, I think, are loved by the activists of L.A., especially on Twitter. Can you tell me a little bit about that relationship? Yeah, I, I guess I kind of blew up on Twitter um, during my coverage of the protests. I went from having a, you know, a few thousand followers, I guess, to all of a sudden having like thousands and thousands of followers and uh, just getting a lot of support from people on Twitter, pushing my stories, uh, you know, buying my prints. When I was still freelancing, people actually were just sending me money directly for my reporting out, um, you know, at the protests and in the field, which like really made a huge difference during a really difficult time. 
Um, and, you know, since then I've, I've found stories on Twitter, you know, people have given me leads or I've found, uh, you know, tips through tweets. So, yeah. um, yeah, Twitter's done a lot for me. And, it, but it also seems to me that activism, activism, act, activists <laughs> in LA have never been more organized or more vocal than black lives matter era and through Twitter. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it was really interesting to see how social media was used during like the George Floyd protest, for instance, to, to organize people and uh, provide like mutual aid and uh, information to people while they were out in the field resources. That was really fascinating. Mm -hmm. What's the future for you, my man? What is your, what is your goal? Cause when I was your age, I wanted to be working at the LA times or spin magazine. Do you have goals that are attached to media outlets that you want to work for? Uh, not so much media outlets, I would say. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy at LA taco, first of all, and I really want to continue building with them. We have some really exciting things to announce in the near future. Um, I think we're going to continue to grow a lot. So in the near future, I see myself growing with LA Taco. And then in the future, I mean, I, I you know, my background's actually in like film and video. Um, so that's something I, and that's always in the back of my mind. I have a lot of ideas for, for like movie projects, TV projects, podcasts, um, things of that nature. So I, I think my future is going a little bit more in that direction and, and maybe a little bit less um, in the direction of something like working for one of the big news outlets that you just mentioned, you know, but you know, you never know. And I would certainly welcome the opportunity, um, as I grow as a writer to, to write for other publications. Well, right on, man. I'm sure every, anything you do is going to kick ass. Thank you. And <laughs> thank you again for letting me ask these questions. For sure. I'm, I'm so happy that we could do it after all these months. <laughs> Absolutely. Right on, man. How great was Lexus? You know who else we would love for him to take portraits of one day? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're saying, Tony, Jordan, here's a subscription to LA Taco. Here's a new skateboard. Here's a brand new camera. Every donation you hand over helps us keep this insane project rolling. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Granke, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, and Dougie Gyro. Want to hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash here in LA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, just flow us 25 bucks on PayPal or more. And we will list you on the Here in LA website that's almost done forever. You'll also be given a number to denote how early you got in to make this dream come alive. Angelino number one is Allie Miller, two, George Wright, three, Rita Joanne, four, Jason Sutter, five, Grant Houghton, six, Rob Baker, seven, Kev Chang, eight, Brenda Garcia, and nine is John Griffiths. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com. 
Want to support us, but you too just started renting out a badass art studio outside of Chinatown? You can still help. Post your favorite episode on your Facebook. Oh my God, post two. Is three asking too much? Tweet something nice about us. In fact, anytime you see me tweet about our episodes, retweet it. And for God's sake, tell your friends. What do they care? Tell them how Here in L.A. is spelled, that it's on Apple Podcasts, woo, and Google Podcasts, and even Spotify. What? It's true. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce, and a man who's impervious to the whims of the law, Jordan Katz. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy for creating the logo, Jen for inspiring this, and all the reporters at small independent outlets who get disrespected by the people who should, you know, obey the First Amendment. It's crazy. The same way that they obey the First Amendment with giant outlets. Therefore, rock on, LA Taco and uh, and, uh, and, uh, and, uh.